So, so very often to be called an amateur is really kind of an insult, except in the one place where the term is held to be sacred, and that is in college sports. The idea that while they are still students, the men and women who participate in athletics should only be playing for the love of the game. Classroom comes first, the playing field second, and money stays out of it. Except that we all know that there is money all over college sports. Coaches are paid in the millions. There are billions in TV contracts. But who does not get paid a salary in all of this? The players themselves. And why not? Well goes the argument, they're on scholarship. And to pay them, to give them salaries, would ruin the game. But the other side says, well, they're workers anyway. They're workers who are earning billions for their universities. It's only fair that they should get paid. It's a thorny argument that's gone on for a long time, but it's flaring up again now, especially in the wake of corruption scandals. And in this, we think, are the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, pay college athletes. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. As always, our debate goes in three rounds, and then our audience here at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City will choose the winner. And as always, if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. So our motion is this, pay college athletes. We have one team arguing for the motion. Let's meet them. Please, first welcome Joe Nocera. Hi, Joe, and welcome back to Intelligence Squared U.S., your second time debating with us. You are a columnist at Bloomberg View. You're co-author of the book Indentured, the inside story of the rebellion against the NCAA. You have described yourself as a very big, big college basketball fan, but why college as opposed to pro for you? Well, it's pretty simple. I grew up in Providence, Rhode Island. We don't have professional sports, but we do have our beloved Providence College Friars, who I've rooted for all my life. All right, it makes sense. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonas Sarah. And sitting by your side, Joe, is your partner in this debate, Andy Schwartz, ladies and gentlemen. Andy, you're a partner at OSKR. That's an economic consulting firm that you co-founded. You are an antitrust economist. Uh, you have described yourself in the past as a serious board gamer. What college sport would make a great board game? I guess if I had to pick a, a sport that fits in the board game milieu, it would probably be baseball. It has a long history going back to Stratomatic, and so I'd go with baseball. Good old baseball. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, again, the team arguing for the motion. Now, the motion, again, pay college athletes. We have two debaters arguing against it. Please first welcome Christine Brennan. Christine, uh, you are a best-selling best author of a lot of books. You are an award-winning sports columnist for USA Today. You were the first president of the Association for Women in Sports Media. You were honored by the Women's Sports Foundation in its commemoration of the 40th anniversary of Title IX. That's a term uh, that's going to come up a lot during this debate. So tell us in one or at most two sentences <laughs> what Title IX is. Well, John, it was uh, signed by Richard Nixon in June of 1972, a law mandating if you get federal funding, you must treat men and women equally. It was designed for law schools and med schools. Obviously, the sports component has been huge. I think it's the most important law in our country the last 45 years. Not that I think it's a big deal or anything. Uh, Title IX has changed the playing fields of America. And we'll hear, be hearing a lot more about it. But thank you for that explanation. Christine Brennan. And, Christine, uh, your partner is the one athlete on our panel. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, please welcome Len Elmore. 
So, uh, Len, you spent 10 years in the NBA. Before that, you were All-American at the University of Maryland. You are now an attorney. You are also a basketball analyst. You served as an assistant district attorney after you graduated from Harvard Law. You are also, for people who are only listening, six foot nine. Um, question, when you were in the courtroom, did you ever use your stature to intimidate your opposing counsel? Uh, not intentionally. However, when we were called to the bench, I was the only one that could look eye to eye with a judge. So <laughs> I think that had some impact. That helped. Ladies and gentlemen, Len Elmore and the team arguing against the motion. Let's move on to round one. Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first for the motion, pay college athletes, here is Andy Schwartz, economist and partner at OSKR. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Schwartz. Thank you, John. Um, tonight, you're going to hear uh, Christine and Lynn argue that mandatory enforcement of amateurism is a bulwark against the forces of over-commercialization that threaten to destroy college sports. They'll ask you to ignore the fact that college sports are already hyper-commercialized with billion-dollar TV contracts and events like the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. But to economists like me, and almost any economist not on the NCAA's payroll, the NCAA's enforcement of amateurism is not noble. It is the classic conduct of an anti-competitive cartel. Cartels are illegal in the United States. People go to jail for price fixing, and firms have been punished for attempting to fix the price they pay their workers. In the 1990s, one cartel that was trying to fix wages was punished by a federal court which said, and this is a quote, the cartel ultimately robs suppliers of the normal fruits of their enterprises. That cartel was the NCAA, which had tried to fix the, the wages that were paid to coaches by the schools. And they said, well, we need to because we have to preserve amateurism. We need to save costs. And the court said, those may be fine goals, but they don't override the coach's right to seek employment in competition among the schools that would employ him or her. And so my proposition to you is rather than voting yes to the simple pay college athletes, I want you tonight to vote yes to the idea that college athletes, like their coaches, have the right to a market free of collusion, like all of us do under the law. Um, tonight you may hear the argument that if college athletes are paid, that suddenly and magically they'll stop being students. That's nonsense. Students in college get paid all the time. They work in the library, they work in the bookstore, they get paid if they're in student government, they get paid for the, on the school newspaper. Emma Watson was at Brown University when she made many of her, her, her Harry Potter movies as Hermione Granger. We may not have approved of how much money she got. We may have been worried that she would have spent the money frivolously or maybe even dangerously, but we didn't deny her her adult right to go into the market and seek compensation free of collusion. So where Emma Watson was treated like an adult, Deshaun Watson, who won the national championship at Clemson, was not. Instead, he was told he could have a fixed price, and that was it. So one quibble you might hear is that Alabama and Ohio State will get all the best football players, and Kentucky and Duke will get all the best basketball players. But that happens now. There's actually very good economics that shows that fixing prices hurts competitive balance. It doesn't help it. Um, you may hear doctored NCAA statistics that nobody makes any money, but there's plenty of money when the coach needs $5 million pay, the assistant coach needs a $1 million dollars, um, and um, the good news is, is that unlike coaches' pay, as athlete pay rises for men, Title IX ensures that 
an equivalent amount will be d- dedicated to women. So what we'll see is a sort of Title IX 2.0. Finally, don't fall, fall for the fact that no one will watch. If no one will watch, then no one will pay because pay in a market is driven by businesses' desire to attract customers. And so um, if in your mind you suspect that if allowed to, colleges would pay, then what you're saying is that you know that fans would still attend. And that's why I want you to, to answer yes to the proposition because athletes deserve the right to find out the answer what they're worth. Thank you, Andy Schwartz. The motion again is pay college athletes and here to make his opening statement against the motion, Len Elmore, attorney, former NBA player. Ladies and gentlemen, Len Elmore. Pay for play is a cop-out. It teaches nothing. It infects the true mission of sports and higher education. And you've got to consider this. There is no right to play college sports. There's no statutory, natural, or God-given right. It's a benefactor-beneficiary relationship where the athletes as beneficiaries accept the conditions set forth by the benefactors in exchange for the benefits that include free education, free world-class training. Now, if you quantify those benefits, room, board, books, tuition, cost of attendance stipends, which can sometimes go as high as $6,000, then add medical benefits, world-class coaching, training in world-class facilities, the ability to build a brand on national TV. How much would those benefits be worth on an open market? The mission of higher education is leadership development. Play for Play blows up that mission with its distractions. Only tuition is tax-free. Imagine every athlete having to file a tax return. That just adds to the burdens that college athletes already have. Play for play destroys the pro-social benefits of college sports. 96% of the revenue derived from tickets and media sales go back to the institutions who, in turn, utilize it for programs that work to the benefit of student-athletes. The revenue serves the greater good. That includes supporting Division II, supporting Division III, subsidizing non-revenue sports with money for scholarships and other beneficial programs. And yes, it is a social and racial justice issue. However, not for the reasons our opponents have stated. You know, black athletes carry the burden of academic failure in revenue-generating sports. Fifteen years ago, the graduation rate for African-American basketball players was 46%. Today, it is now 77%. Now, those numbers can improve, but guess what? They were done without paying a single dime of pay-for-play. You've heard from the opposition fair value, college athletes, or you will. How about focusing on valuing education fairly? For people of color, particularly black athletes, education is resistance. What better than a degree to help you prepare and resist the ravages of racism in a world that essentially is hostile to you because of the color of your skin? It's time we viewed pay-for-play as a sarcastic deterrent and payoff to deter that type of resistance. The corruption in college sports that we probably will touch on has its roots fueled by money. But rather than destroy those roots, pay-for-play deepens them. Every ill that has been mentioned and will be mentioned by the proponents of pay-for-play 
can be cured by controlling spending, continued academic reform, and assuring that direct commercial success inures to the benefit of the college athlete first and foremost, their health, safety, and welfare, not by substituting a fix in amounts that probably will have less impact than an earned degree on the lives of these athletes. And for that reason, I urge you guys to vote no on this proposition. Thank you, Len Elmore. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by GSK. No two cancers are the same. That's why at GSK, our oncology scientists are working on personalized treatments. One way we design these new medicines is by harnessing a patient's own immune system to target and destroy tumors. And by creating new combinations of medicines that work better together, we hope to transform cancer treatment for patients in the future. And a reminder of where we are, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, pay college athletes. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Here is Jonah Serra. He is Bloomberg View columnist and co-author of Indentured, the inside story of the rebellion against the NCAA. Ladies and gentlemen, Jonah Serra. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so a free education is supposed, to what you, is supposed to be what you get, and it's what the NCAA promises. In fact, it says on the website, in the collegiate model of sports, the young men and women competing on the field or court are students first, athletes second. You know, here's the deal. Education should be their trump card, but it's the, actually the reason you should vote with us. Because far too many college Football and men's basketball players simply don't get a real education or anything close to it. So you've read about the University of North Carolina scandal. 20 years, fake classes, right? No professor, no class, one paper which is graded by the administrator. Not only did the NCAA say that this was okay, that it didn't violate any rules, they called it a benefit. Explain how that works. Explain how that's right. Now... Race. Race is an important, important subtext of this whole conversation. A college education is supposed to be life-changing. But listen to some statistics, some real statistics, not the phonied-up NCAA graduation statistics, which, by the way, don't count any athlete who drops out. In the Big Ten, black men's basketball players have a graduation rate of thir- uh, that is 36% lower than non-athletes. The Big 12, minus 42%. The Mountain West, minus 51%. Michigan State, 33% of black male athletes graduate in six years compared to 78% of non-athletes. And a lot of those who do graduate major in something called eligibility, i.e. they just take any class that the academic advisor sends them to so, that they, so, they, so they can stay on the field. This is exploitation. I don't even know how else you can call it anything else. They've been recruited to the campus for one reason. One reason, to generate revenue for the university. So now they're going to say, now they're not employees because they're quote-unquote student-athletes. But when the NLRB in Chicago held a hearing to discuss whether the Northeastern football team qualified under the law as employees, they wound up saying, yes, they did. 
They, they work 60 hours a week. Their boss, their coach, controls almost every aspect of their lives. They are employees. They can't take classes that get in the way of, of their sport. Why? You're going to hear that word, phrase a lot, student-athlete. You know where it comes from? 1956. The NCAA made it up because some states were thinking of giving badly injured football players workman's comp. So the idea is if you call everybody a student-athlete, they'll think they're students and they're not employees, and therefore they won't get student, uh, workman's comp no matter how badly they're hurt. That's a really fair system, don't you think? We've talked, everybody agrees that college sports is a huge business. It's actually a $13 billion business, just a little bit less than the, than the NFL. So why is it okay to have a business that maximizes revenue in every aspect, but the labor force is supposed to be free? How is that right? If you vote with us, you're voting for a system that is healthier, fairer, more honest, and more just. Thank you very much. Thank you, Genesera. And again, the motion is pay college athletes. And here to make her opening statement against the motion, Christine Brennan, sports columnist for USA Today. Ladies and gentlemen, Christine Brennan. Thank you, John. Thank you. Well, thanks for being here, everybody. It's a real delight to be up here with, uh, with four friends. And I do have to give uh, Joe and Andy some credit here. I'm going to give you your props right away. You've used the word women as well as men in this conversation. But when we hear this argument over and over again, ladies and gentlemen, it's about men. 2017, we're going to pay men but not women. And I know you guys said we will. You talk to any athletic director in the country, and they're thinking, wow, how in the world do we do this? How do we pay field hockey as well as football? You have to under Title IX. Or if you don't, if the idea is all about revenue producing and we're only going to pay the people that supposedly make money, uh, if you do that, well, uh, then think of the Title IX lawsuits. You will just have hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits in this country, as, uh, as there should be, if, in fact, you're not paying women equal to men. What is this going to look like? So, let's, okay, let's pay them. Let's pay everybody. So you guys are from Maryland. You've got an offensive tackle. Now we're paying him. We're paying, what, 100000 a year? And all of a sudden, Auburn says, you know, we, we need an offensive tackle halfway through the season. And we'll pay them 150000 a year. So there goes your offensive tackle, right? If you can move around. Uh, the field hockey players moving from here to there because they don't like their job. The way you might want to move halfway through a year in a job that you're in. The chaos that that could, that could uh, leave for everyone. And as fans of football, I was uh, with a whole group of Big Ten people actually on an Alaska cruise. And I asked this question. I said... These are super fans. They spent money to go to Alaska. They have season tickets. I said, would it change football for you and men's basketball for you if we were paying everybody? And I asked for a show of hands, and every single person, Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota, Ohio State, Maryland, Northwestern, where I went to school, everyone said it would change it for them. They would be less likely to support it. They would be less likely to go and cheer for it. So those are just the facts, folks. You know, the other thing that we hear a lot from our friends on the other side of, the, of this issue is uh, the conversation about athletes not being compensated. Forbes said that $2 million plus over four years for a, a football player, that the value of that education and that experience at a college, $2 million plus. Uh, USA Today, uh, my newspaper, men's basketball, a half million dollars they figured over the four years. Again, what is that? Len mentioned it. Elite coaching, tutoring, training, food, medicine, 
all of those wonderful things, the exposure on Saturday night to show your wares so that someday a future employer can see what you're doing and hire you. What would the violinist in the symphony, in the school symphony, give to be on TV every Saturday night? Uh, And the last thing in the last minute that I have here is that we hear that money is floating all over the, around, of course, all over the place. Absolutely. Our college coaches paid exorbitant amounts. That's not the conversation for today. I think all four of us could g- agree. The answer is yes. These college coaches, football coaches, men's basketball are paid through the, through the roof. That's not what we're debating here today. We're debating about the funds that are there. And according to USA Today, 23 programs are self-sufficient. The rest are not balancing out. So this idea that there's money just floating around there to pay everyone... Um, we're, we're finding that's just not the case. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. Hope you vote with us, and on we go. Thank you very much. Thank you, Christine Brennan. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is pay college athletes. Now we move on to round two, and in round two, the debaters can address one another directly, and they take questions from me and from you and our live audience here in New York City. The motion is pay college athletes. We have heard the team arguing for the motion, Andy Schwartz and Joe Nocera, arguing that the question itself is condescending to the players, that those players have the same right as any other college student. Why not let the free market determine what their value is? The bottom line they finish with this assessment comes from Joe Nocera, that these players were recruited for one reason only, he says, and that was to make money for the university. The team arguing against the motion, Christine Brennan and Len Elmore, they use the term pay for play, and they use it very distastefully. They say pay for play would ruin uh, college sports, that it would ruin the sense of community, that it would ruin the opportunities that exist for players, African-American and others, to get an education because kids would start going to college not to get an education. They would start going to college in order to get paid. So there is a lot there. There is a lot through this lens to discuss. I want to go back to the point I found Jonas Sarah made that sounds so devastating, if true, that Colleges are recruiting these players for one reason only, and that's to make money for the universities. That's a devastating statement to make. And I want to take it to you, Len Elmore, on the opposing side to respond to it. Well, in in some ways, it is true. It's translated into wins and losses. And just as importantly, it also translates into opportunity. You know, you can recruit guys and gals to be able to win games for you. But by the same token, those same guys and gals can utilize that opportunity to better themselves. It's a quid pro quo. Uh, No one has the right to play college sports. I keep hearing that, but, you know, it's just not true. And, and, you know, we talk about anecdotes, and Joe throws out a lot of anecdotes, and, and I think it might be intellectually dishonest to say, don't listen to the NCAA stats and don't believe this, but where's the proof that they're wrong? Let me bring it to Andy Schwartz. Sure. Well, so uh, the College Sports Research Institute, which is based at the University of South Carolina, led by Richard Southall and Mark Nagel, produces a revised version of the NCAA's graduation rates. It's peer-reviewed, and they go through and they, dis- they demolish what the NCAA does to doctor their stats. The same thing applies for the financial reports. The sports economics community has studied this for 30, 40 years. This is not anecdote. This is this is social science. And so, what, 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 what about to Lynn Elmore's point that, in fact, the trade-off is worth it for the students? They're not, they're not forced into this. They have the option not to go to college. But, in fact, by going to college, they're making a deal education for the work that I do. Jonas, Sarah, I want to say. Well, well and if, 
First of all, the idea that they can decide to not go to college is silly, especially if you're a football player. Uh, I mean, you, need, you can't even be uh, drafted until, after you're, until you're a junior, and the only way, and your bodies aren't ready, it, you have to go to college. It, it's non-optional. If you had a chance at a real education, yes, maybe there's something to the trade-off, although they're still not getting their market value, and I still think that's wrong. But, you know... Well, let's, let's just take that side of it. Let's put aside whether they're getting them a fair market value and just talk about are they getting the education part of it that your opponents say. I want to bring for, that to you. For most college football, from too many college football and men's basketball players, the answer to that question is no. That's a dangerous word, most, because you don't know. You don't know. But you, you can't let me, let, use, me bring, let me bring Christine into it. Do, do you want to respond to that point? Well, I, my goodness, how many of us, I think probably every single one of, of you in this room, I know many of us, all of us, uh, know people who played sports in college, and they're successful professionals. Um, are there problems? Absolutely. On that, we can agree. Uh, but my belief, my strong belief, our strong belief, is that to pay athletes doesn't make it better. Andy Schwartz. So on the question of rights, none of us have a right to a television set either. But what we have is the right to when we go into a market and buy a television set, not to have all the television set manufacturers get together and collude on the price. The Sherman Act was passed in 1890. That is a right embedded in law. And the idea here is that when I, I don't have a right to play college, college sports, but I do have a right if I go to college to say, I want you to tell me how much my scholarship is going to be worth without colluding with others. The same thing happened in the Ivy League around the time that I was applying. All of the Ivy League schools colluded on how much merit aid they would give at zero. They didn't give any merit aid by agreement. The Department of Justice stepped in and said that was illegal, and all of the schools agreed to stop. Let me, let me move on to a, another point that your opponents made. I'm taking this to the against side. They talked about Emma Watson, the actor, uh, being at Brown uh, and being able to make a lot of money. You, you argued, wouldn't it be nice if violinists got paid? And sometimes violinists can get paid. They can perform in concerts. They're saying if all of these other students can get paid for their jobs, why should college uh, football players and basketball players be different? Well, to start out with, they've already got the scholarship. So Emma Watson did not have a scholarship, correct? I don't know, actually. Well, she did not have let's a scholarship. Assume, let's assume she didn't. She okay. did not have an acting scholarship. Does anybody know Emma Watson's to... situation? They, they don't no. know. <laughs> I will say this. I had no idea Emma Watson would be mentioned more than any other athlete at this point. <laughs> the, um, you know, so Emma Watson is an actor who is going to college, and that's fantastic, right? But if you have signed up, to have a scholarship, well, then that's the deal. And, of course, again, the, the fact that you are going to get a free education for all of you parents out there who've paid full freight. <laughs> well, I'm not going to hold my breath for a parent-led march on Washington in the next 20 or 30 years, but wow. So not only do they get a scholarship if you're an athlete, but now they're going to be paid. And, again, how much? Uh, okay, you can use Emma. Emma what's let's let's take her out of it. Might not be the best <laughs> example, but look... When I was in college, I worked in the photography lab. I also had a scholarship. Not, not athletic, but I had an academic scholarship. I worked in the photography lab. I paid taxes. I was an employee of the university. The world did not come to an end. It did not distract me from my studies. I was able to do it. That's what happens in America all the time. Okay, let me let, let Len respond to that. Well, take a, look at, take a look at the factors we're talking about when it comes to these young basketball and football players. 
how they were raised with regard to being an AAU teams, being um, coddled in many ways, not really understanding. People, coaches complain about that all the time, that they don't have uh, the necessary understanding of what real life is all about. And it continues in college. Um, the point being made, and, and you want to use anecdotes, I'll use one. Cardale Jones from Ohio State, the quarterback, immediately when he would read before the draft, they asked him about his stay at Ohio State. He says, man, you know, I, I was there to play football. I wasn't there to play school. And, and that's the bottom line. It comes down to distraction. Well, how would Cardale the, be any more distracted than he was if he was getting paid? He wasn't even getting paid and he was distracted. I mean, you, uh, no, I didn't, how, say, how I didn't money, say he was. The, how would money change? I didn't it? say he was distracted. He just said he was there to play football. That's not distraction. That's apathy. What if the free market places a higher value on male athletes yeah. versus female athletes? Should no, those women, should, a, should both be paid the same so, on the same scale? So this is why I say that if we let the market open up and athletic directors decide that their fans can tolerate, say, $100,000 a player. What that means is that they have to make sure they budget $100,000 times 13 for women's sports, too, if we're talking about basketball. And if they can't afford that, then they have to lower the amount they pay the male players to make sure they comply with the law, because federal law dominates here. And so that's the idea, is is the idea that schools will open themselves up to litigation is, I think, kind of silly. When companies know they have to pay their workers withholding taxes, they calculate that into how much they pay. Title IX is like a basically 100% payroll tax. Every dollar of scholarship you give to a male, you more or less give $1 of scholarship. Although, as you know, for years, colleges haven't even done that, and most universities today are not compliant. So again, Andy, I'm putting you in charge, because you are doing more than most colleges today if you, in fact, are are going to go with what you're saying. Do you want to finish your point? I just want to say that if the reason we don't pay college athletes is because college universities are breaking the law, that strikes me as punishing the wrong people. I want to return to this. I want to return, I want to, return to a little bit more of, uh, now, a little bit of the cultural part of the conversation we had. There are two things. Is, is, the, is the education for real? And the other is, what is the impact on the community that exists around college football? In the 1960s and 1970s, when baseball was, players were fighting for free agency, people said, owners said, fans said, this will destroy baseball. This will be the worst thing that ever happens to baseball if players get free agency and they can go from one team to another and they can, they, can, they can argue for their own money, for their own paycheck. It was the best thing that ever happened to baseball. Baseball is much more prosperous today. Uh, it's a much better sport than it was back then. Well, look, it, it comes down to the fact that, one, you're talking about professionals and people have one concept of what professionals are about. They have another concept of what college athletes and athletics is all about. Bottom line is, you know, you have the galvanization of communities around college sports because their attitudes are about college sports. But why why would that change if the athletes were paid? The other thing, again, is balance. Well, say goodbye to that. Say goodbye to that. Because there's no way my alma mater, Northwestern, is going to be able to pay what Ohio State pays. Women's hoops, let's go with the idea that you guys are going to pay women athletes, all women athletes, which is great. I'll be cheering for it. So now you're a high school girl and you play basketball. Well, you probably want to get paid, right? So maybe there's two or three schools that are going to pay their female basketball players. So then the rest of them will get, those are the best ones, will go there. So say goodbye, folks, to competitive balance forever. 
It will change everything you've thought about college football, college okay. let, basketball. Let, let's let, let's let your fact. opponents respond to that. Would you like to take an Andy? So, or, so one thing, are you worried that UConn will get all the best women's basketball players? Well, they didn't win, uh, they didn't win the national title this year, that's for sure. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. Stay with us. We are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, pay college athletes. Hi, I'm Mike from uh, White Plains, New York. Um, I appreciate that you brought up the uh, points about the exploitation of athletes and coaches and universities taking advantage of them. And uh, I think that's really at the crux of this whole conversation of people not doing it. It's still a university, and we want education. We want to prepare these young people for the future. My question is, is paying going to solve that problem? If you are working a job 50 to 60 hours a week, uh, generating millions of dollars, allowing your coach not only to keep his job but to make his millions, to the assistant coach to make their millions, the, the conference commissioner to make their millions, and you're not being compensated at your fair market value, you are being exploited. That's the definition of exploitation. Now, this is not to say that there shouldn't, we shouldn't be figuring out ways to make it easier to do that job and to get an education. I mean, one of the big problems putting aside pay, is the fact that, they're ex- that, that athletes are expected to take five to six classes a semester and work 50 to 60 hours a week uh, on their sports. It's almost impossible. And so I would say paying them is one of the ways of reducing the ways that the athletes are exploited. Can I ask well, this? Yes, please. Lynn, well, to respond. You know, Mike, when it comes to exploitation, let's not forget what they're getting in return. Now, the optics don't look good, but what I said at the end of my open was that for every complaint that they have, the, there are uh, options. There are, you can control spending, okay? You can make sure that the commercial dollars inure to the benefit of the health, safety, and welfare of the student-athlete. And the way you do that, in my opinion, and I've been calling for this for years, is get an antitrust uh, exemption. Right now, the NCAA is dying a death by a thousand litigation cuts. It's like the Wild West. You hear us go back and forth, back and forth about authority. In the Wild West, you know, they got what? Marshall Dillon, who had total authority to clean the place up. Now, if Congress allowed an antitrust exemption to the NCAA, gave them subpoena power, gave them the other powers to regulate, even coaches' salaries, regulate spending, regulate a whole host of problems to change those optics, I think we'd be okay. far better off. Let me, would you guys like to respond? Because I can move on to another question. I just can't. I, I, just, it's, it's, I don't even <laughs> know. It's impossible to respond to that because I, I'm I right. disagree so profoundly yeah. with the idea that you should regulate everything. Right. This would be like letting Enron re- regulate financial reporting or something like that. Okay. Another question. If you could just tell us again your first name, please. Thanks. Hi. Um, my name's Ramona. Um, I'm wondering what both sides think about the idea of taking colleges out of the equation and allowing like players to seek out compensation for pro- like profiting off of their likeness through sponsorships outside of the college completely. I think it's a great I think it's a great idea and I think it's long overdue and it's it's the easiest it's the easiest simplest thing that you could do to put um, uh, to at least to 
to at least, if you're not going to go all the way to paying players, to at least have an Olympic-style so- model where if a car dealer wants to get the University of Connecticut women's basketball team to do an advertisement, that should be perfectly legal, and they all should be able to get a little compensation from that. I, I don't see anything wrong with that at and all. And to clarify, it's now not legal. Well, it's not... Yeah, well, I mean, not, not permitted. It's, it's not, not permitted, permitted by the NCAA. NCAA. Okay, let's take that to Len. Well, I, I, would, I would agree name, image, and likeness is a natural right, and you're entitled to be compensated for that. The biggest problem we have, though, is what's the process? And, you know, if you're looking at a football team and you want the quarterback to do, you know, this, this commercial, but the quarterback is only good because the left tackle is the one blocking for him. Okay, who should get the commercial? Who should get paid? I believe that if you do that, it should be a group licensing situation where all the money goes into a trust, and at the end of graduation, and I emphasize graduation, then they can access the trust. But yes, name, image, and likeness certainly should be compensated because it's a natural right. Another question? Hello, my name is Crystal. Um, Just to allude to what you said about how African-Americans get a better opportunity because they're going to college and actually getting a quality education. Um, So what do you tell that student athlete that actually wanted to major in chemistry, but he couldn't because he... It, work, it doesn't work within his, um, his schedule for football. Oh. Or what do you tell what that nursing question. student who wanted to go to the University of Tennessee, but her nursing classes won't work within her schedule, so she goes to another school? So just what are, some, what are your thoughts on that? And my thought on it is this, that student-athletes prior to going in to university and being recruited have to elicit you know, some kind of promise and have to find the wherewithal to be advocates for their own education. You know, you can't sit there and allow people to track you. You have to follow your dreams and be an advocate. Once they're advocates for their education, then nothing's going to stop them. And there are people on campus that will help you become advocates for your education. If that's not the place for you, then absolutely you have to do what that other person did. Go someplace where you can be an advocate for, for your education. That's the key. Let's see if the other side wants to... Jump in on that well, point, I mean, Jonas Sarah? They're 17 years old, and you're basically saying they're, they're, they're too young to pay taxes, but they're not too young to advocate themselves in a very difficult situ- situation where the coach is trying to persuade them to come to their school. I that's, mean, why, that's why you rely, on, you rely on somebody to help you be an advocate. But I just let's clear something an up. Agent. I never said, I never said that they're too too young to pay taxes. I just said it adds to the burdens. That's all. Being a journalist here, I, I think uh, I hopefully can say this. We hear about the things that don't go right often. Um, news, by definition, is when something isn't normal, right? A plane lands, it's fine. If a plane doesn't land, then that becomes news. Uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of college athletes who are able to play their sport and also get their degree in what they would like to get their degree in. And one so of thank them, you for your question. One of them went to Harvard Law School and became an assistant district attorney. <laughs> <laughs> right down in front, sir. Um, to the side against, uh, my question is, the proposal that you have put forward, the, the argument for the system that we have seems radically left-wing, that uh, we know that there are individuals, uh, a few percent, that generate tons of wealth for institutions. And so what best we can do is to take that money, uh, to use it for the betterment of the entire school, and in exchange offer a scholarship. It seems to me that, that if we said the same should be done for the next 
Bill Gates or Zuckerberg that comes into an institution on a scholarship, develops at that institution some intellectual property that is incredibly wealthy, and that we say to them, we're going to tax that at 100% that, that we would protest. That's really well phrased. It's not exactly a question, but I, but I, think, I think they get it. Why should that not apply to people who have, who, who have intellectual uh, gifts that produce results? Why should they not ultimately have to give back all of that to the university, as he's saying that the players are being asked to do? Well, as I understand it, if you were to say, um, this is not an area of expertise for me, but if, if a, a drug is developed in a university lab, well, then that does come back to help the entire university. Um, yeah. I'm sorry? Not if it's a student. Yeah. Students own their IP. Okay. Um, this might be another topic for another day. Um, <laughs> but no, I, but I do think there's some, a, little, a little side note on this sure. that might be important, is that um, this is discussed a lot of what does football mean to a school. And a lot of people I know, this is anecdotal, it is not, I don't have this on a, a spreadsheet anywhere. They go for homecoming, and then they go and they write a check for biology the next day. They feel really good about being around the football team. They saw their friends. Football is the place to go. So there, there's a lot there, and I appreciate your question. Jonas Era, you can pass. I'm Andy, okay. You can pass. There okay. Were, there were a couple students at Stanford. They invented a little thing called Google, and they got rich. And... Um, IP belongs to students, and, and, and so, should, so should the economic value of, of playing sports. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is pay college athletes. Now we move on to round three, and round three are closing statements by each debater in turn, making his closing statement in support of the motion and returning to the Intelligence Square. Here is Andy Schwartz, sports economist and partner at OSKR. I can see that some of you in the audience recently graduated from college. Others, maybe you have kids or grandkids who graduated from college recently. Um, And you may be thinking to yourself, gosh, I wish my slow, short kid had been exploited like those big, burly... Uh, athletes were. And the thing is, is that exploitation is not about some level. It's about the gap between what you get and what you're worth. And if your kid only got a half scholarship for merit, that's because that was the supply and demand factors that led to that. And the school gave your kid what your kid was worth or gave you what you were worth. And the only people that that's not happening to right now are college athletes. And it's because of collusion. The idea that an education is not valuable is not what I stand for. I have three degrees. I think education is extremely valuable. Exploitation is about getting less than you're worth. And so um, I'd like to leave you with this final thought about the word enough. Isn't it enough that they get a scholarship? Enough is a standard that we reserve for people who could receive charity, for children, and for chattel. When, when somebody owns a horse and gives the horse enough oats combs it well. We say, what a good owner. And we, we, we think enough is good for the horse, but we, we let the, the horse's owner earn as much as she can running the horse in races. And so I want you to vote yes for the proposition, pay college athletes, because I think we should treat college athletes like the humans and not the horse in my analogy. And, and so I want you to think about what it means if, if the standard that you're using for yourself is I get what I earn, and the standard that you're using for collegians is it's enough what that means. Thank you, Andy Schwartz. The motion again is pay college athletes. 
And here making his closing statement against the motion, Len Elmore, attorney and former NBA player. No one ever said it's enough. In fact, we said more can be done. The current system needs to be changed. I talked about antitrust exemption to keep the current system, but allow an authority to be able to make it fairer. You know, throwing out the baby with the bathwater by just paying people and going away, to me, that's almost degrading. And the word indentured, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, we have the, the, the cover of a book. We have um, people likening this to indentured servitude and slavery. You know, that to me is simply for shock value. Who can say that getting an education, a degree, and being able to move on, even if you play pro sports, who can say that that's slavery? And just because other people are making more money, that's going to happen in this real world. But the bottom line is, this is leadership development. This is still education. And no matter how many anecdotes we come up with that talk about the idea of... Um, of poor classes, et cetera. There are hundreds that do it the other way. Josh Dobbs, quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, 3.5 GPA in aerospace engineering. Myron Roll, a Rhodes Scholar, football player, played in the NFL, and then he went on to be a neurosurgeon. Len Elmore, uh, an attorney, uh, a college basketball player, had the opportunity. If they were paying us, do you really think at 17, 18 years old, our focus would be on what, it ult what we ultimately became. Think about that. Thank you, Len Elmore. The motion again is pay college athletes. And here, making his closing statement in support of the motion, Joe Nocera, columnist for Bloomberg View. You walk into the college bookstore and you see your jersey. And it's being sold for 50, 60, 70 bucks. And you're not getting any of it. That's really leadership development, don't you think? That really teaches you a lot about how the world works. It does actually teach you a lot about how the world works. I listened to our opponents talk tonight about all the things that would be so difficult about paying the athletes. Taxes, competitive balance, Title IX, contracts. These are all solvable problems. And not only are they solvable, they're actually pretty easy to solve. You just have to want to do it. And everybody in College Sports Inc., which is what I call it, is resistant to this idea because the current system works for them. In the early stages of the fake class scandal at the University of North Carolina, a distinguished professor of history named Harry Winston wrote a letter to an alumnus who was upset that the scandal had become such a big deal. And here's part of what he wrote. We entice these players to entertain the public and enrich their coaches by performing a vast amount of arduous, dangerous, and unpaid work with the opportunity for a free education and a distant chance to go pro as their only compensation. Then we set up conditions which make the education either meaningless or nearly unattainable. To me, this situation is fundamentally immoral. If you want to start infusing some morality into this situation, not to mention some sanity, you need to start paying the players. Thank you. Thank you, Jenna Sarah.
that is the motion, pay college athletes. And here making her closing statement against the motion, Christine Brennan, sports columnist for USA Today. You know, I think it really comes down to, you've heard it enough. I mean, I could just sit down right now. You guys have your ideas. But it's, it, it's, it's almost a cynicism about, well, the college scholarship isn't worth enough. Uh, this wonderful thing we've set up, which is college sports, which so many of you enjoy. Oh, that's not good enough. Um, I know it sounds probably like I'm saying the sky is falling, if it's going to be different. Folks, it's going to be different. And we may ruin it uh, to pay athletes when, in fact, they're already getting so much, in our humble opinion, with those scholarships. And it's easy for me to stand here and say that to you. But let me take you to two days ago when I was at my alma mater, Northwestern University, and I started a mentoring program for our female student-athletes, and now it's male and female student-athletes. And so I was talking with 20 or 30 students, speed networking, and uh, dinner and what have you, and each and every one of them, some football players at Northwestern, uh, women's soccer, men's soccer, women's golf, swimming, uh, you name it. Every single one of them was so appreciative of the opportunity they were getting. They get a chance to play a sport they love, and they get a chance, in this case, to meet so many professionals that can help them with jobs and internships. They, when I asked them about this, they said, we don't need to be paid. We're here, and we're getting a college scholarship, and we're getting an education that is going to change our lives. Those are their words, not mine, and I'll leave you with that. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you, Christine Brennan. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I have the results in now. The motion, pay college athletes. Again, it's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines our winner. In the first vote on pay college athletes, 42% of you agreed with the motion. 33% were against the motion. 25% were undecided. In the second vote, the team arguing for the motion, their first vote was 42%. Their second vote, 60%. They pulled up 18 percentage points. That is now the number to beat. The team against the motion, their first vote was 33%. Their second vote, 32%. They lost a percentage point. That means the debate goes to the team arguing for the motion, pay college athletes. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. Clea Chang is chief operating officer. Leah Mathau is vice president of programming. Shea O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. And Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and Roku devices with the new IQ2 US app. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Salendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Ryan, and Emily and Antoine Van Actmel. From Intelligence Squared U.S., thanks to all of you.